Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Chicago Business Podcast, where we introduce leading executives in the area and learn how innovation is impacting their businesses. I am your host, Drew Sakula, and today we welcome Anthony Amanategi, a founder of the CDO Group, where he serves as the leader of the construction management firm. Hello, Anthony. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Drew. Nice to have you. Glad to be on your show. But Yeah, it's great to have you here. We were just chatting. It sounds like uh, you have lots of interesting things going on uh, over there. We were just catching up a little bit about your uh, a, a, a not too, uh, a, a, a nice vacation that you had, uh, a working vacation with your family. Uh, how long ago was that? So it was, it was the end of, it was in 2019, right? And so uh, it was called, it was a trip where we took my entire family around the world. And uh, we have been producing it for the last year, uh, making episodes. We currently have uh, eight episodes. We, we should have somewhere around 10 episodes. And uh, it'll be a TV show called Family Style that, uh, that we're working on. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a side little venture. The grand adventure of traveling, um, you know, it. it uh, I just celebrated four years of sobriety, and nobody wants to be sober unless it's fun, right? I, I said to myself, I'm not getting sober unless I can have fun doing it, and that was my gift to myself, the grand adventure of, all right, let's go do this, and let's see what can happen, and that was the outcome of it, right? Take the money that, and stuff that we spent, and uh, the joy of taking, you know, kind of celebrating that with my family, and it, it was a great adventure. We, we did uh, some cool stuff. We... Uh, uh, got to see the world, and we and we did a bunch of great charities uh, along the way. Yeah, hit some of those stops again. Did, th- that was so quite started, the impressive list. So we started in Hong Kong, right? In Hong Kong, we uh, <clears throat> there we did two charities. We did one was called Hong Kong Cleanup, which was centered around Hong Kong is about to run out of space. If you, if you go look at Hong Kong, it is a perfect example of what the world's going to look like in 50 years, right? It's this little island that is overpopulated and garbage is coming out of the top of it and you know they're about to run out of out of, out of space there we went and cleaned an island uh, the second charity we did there was called uh, uh cardboard grannies and we worked with these little old ladies right there at, at 65 in hong kong you're required to retire but if you don't have the family or the resources it's a little tough so these little cardboard grannies go around the markets and they collect cardboard and they subsidize their living by doing that and my family went and we collected cardboard with them got to meet the grannies and uh, we had a little competition. We split up in two teams, and we went out and uh, uh, see how much cardboard we could do. Then we went from there. We went to uh, Vietnam, and Vietnam was uh, where we got to spend time with the. Uh, we got to see the Vietnam. We we're there on the Fourth of July, and we got to see the Vietnam War from their point of view. Which I would say that if we want to prevent war in the future, seeing the outcome and the, the cost of war, uh, it was it was shocking for our kids to see that. And then uh, we we worked with. Uh, uh, a lot of the orphanages there, and we went to these places where we saw what the outcome of what happened with Agent Orange and the side effects of all that. So that was a, a, a neat one to do. And then from there, we went from uh, uh, from Vietnam, we went to um, uh, to Bangkok, and there we worked with another orphanage group, and we worked with a guy called Paper Rangers. So you know, he uh, his name is Mr. Uh, Mr. P. So every every copy machine you've ever had, right? What's right next to the copy machine? Ah, uh, yes. Stapler and uh, a, a pile of paper of, of the stuff that the, the misses, right? Oh, right. Yeah, I got right, it right here. <laughs> right, right here. Every copy machine in the world has a pile of paper right next to it. So Mr. P is this college student, right? This this little non 
uh, you, you would never think anything about this guy, right? Mr. P uh, he came up with a brilliant idea. So he takes the paper, right? All the all the miss, miss papers, and he takes the, there's the side that's writing on, right? He folds them inwards. He takes 20 of these, stacks them in a, in a book, and he makes little binders, and then he co copies with a manila, manila paper, and he sews on a binder, binding, and he draws on them, and he gives them away, to, he puts like little nice sayings on them, like, you know, uh, have a great day, or you know, just, he has kids draw on them. So they take the recycled paper, they make the books, and then they draw on them, and they go give them to, you know, poor kids or people who are less fortunate than he is. And, and uh, uh, so he started this whole thing called Paper Ranger. So we were there, and he trained us how to do that, and we brought that back to the States. And now uh, we just got done doing it with the Arch, before COVID, uh, we got to do it with the Archdiocese here in Chicago, and uh, they, they had a day of Paper Ranger. And it, was, it was fun. Like, he said, here, here. He, he goes, I now anoint you as a Paper Ranger, and he sent us off, and we got to be Paper Rangers here. So uh, that was uh, uh, Vietnam, and then we off, went off to uh, uh, India, and in India, we, uh, my wife and I have been working with this guy who is a neat, neat, neat guy. Here, I'll tell you a story about him. He, his name is Rupa, and Rupa is a, a hippie from Italy, who ended up in London, right? Kind of miss, uh, kind of wandering the world, and he found Hare Krishna. Now, you know, a little different than my religion, our religion here, but uh, we got to spend time with him, and he ended up in a little town called Vindavan, where he became a, a, a devotee to this guy, Krishna guy, and he started a school. And my wife and I have been supporting the school for a while. We got to go see the school. Now, here in the United States, we have girls who have the Me Too generation, right? There is nothing like what they have over there. If you're poor in India, you we don't even here, we have no idea what poor is compared to what poor is over there. And, and um, he takes these girls uh, who, if they're not married by the age of ten, are oftentimes in a very bad predicament, and oftentimes a uh, the families don't look favorable about them because they have to get a dowry and they're forced into these these lives. So so we got to, we get to go there with with them, and he's got a school that he is giving them dignity, he gives them uniforms, and he feeds them, and teaches them computers and, and karate, and those women are gonna change the world. And to be with Rupa and what he's doing there in India was, was fun for my kids, and they got to uh, spend time with all these girls, and I got to go pick them all up in a, in a bus that's driven by two big giant bulls. You know, like, you know big giant bulls. You know? So I got to pick them up in a bull bus, and uh, it was good, so that was fun. Then from there we went on to Africa, and we went down to Cape Town, and. Uh, you know, to really see what apartheid's done and Nelson Mandela and all the, all the life around that. Uh, then we went off to Johannesburg and we did a safari and we got to see some more schools there where uh, my family rebuilt a school. In one, in one day, the 18 of us rebuilt a school from chalkboards to painting it. To, it was a long day and uh, that was quite the adventure. And then um, we went from there, we went off to, uh, to London where we got to go check out Abbey Roads and the Beatles and and along the way, we got to see some cool charities that deal with uh, youth and sports activities where we're taking inner city kids and uh, teaching them, uh, get them active in sports. So you, and, so you, so you made your way all the way around the globe and picked out all of these charities. You picked them all out and obviously in advance to, to plan for, a, for uh, only having a few days in each spot, huh? It was a lot, right? So it was a... Uh, very, very focused. It was exhausting. By the time you got home, you were like whew, used up. Uh, that, that was the the final title was used up. 
and it was great to see shine light on these charities. It was great to, to be there. It was great to travel the world with my family and uh, uh, watch them as they learned and been, you know, got to be part of this grand adventure. So did you have a camera on you then? Uh, were you recording all of that? or So, so funny enough, we brought a camera crew. Uh, okay. So, so I, met, I met a guy, his name is Jim Jerome. He, uh, he's, he's the editor on uh, uh, TV shows like Black Sail and You. And uh, he's, done, he's, he's been a producer on multiple TV shows. And I was telling him about this trip around the world. He goes, Anthony, I'm so tired of Hollywood. He goes, every single day, it takes 13 trucks to do one episode. He goes, literally, I have a whole truck full of, of, of reflectors. And I may use one reflector for the entire day, but I have to rent the entire truck of reflectors because if I don't have them there, and it, it, Hollywood is such a built-in uh, brain damage. He goes, I'm gonna, I wanna, I'd like to come film your adventure with your family. I will take five people and uh, we're gonna film this and we're gonna do it all on iPhones and handheld cameras. And they did, and they, they did the whole thing on on uh, kind of uh, just a way different production. His whole purpose was to say to Hollywood, you don't need all that stuff. The camera quality today with iPhones and, and what's available to us is so much greater than ever before. Uh, and, and the quality came out great, it really, it really did. So uh, Jim uh, has been funny, it just, it was like an experiment for him. And uh, he kind of became part of our family. And so he, so we had 18 family members Right, so my wife and kids, and uh, my sister and her family, and uh, we had 18 of us, and then we had five camera crews. So uh, a total, we had uh, 23 people that uh, came along with us on the, on the trip. Wow, wow. Well, let's uh, let's maybe take a step back and talk about uh, you know what uh, has enabled you to have such a such a grand journey there. So uh, again, you are. Uh, with the CDO group. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? Sure. You know, uh, so I, I've owned a CDO group coming up this February will be 24 years. I, I, st I started my career uh, early on at Blockbuster Video and then Discovery Zone and Boston Market and Einstein Bagels. I was building brands for different people. I was in-house at those companies and I realized that companies were out there buying cows to get milk. That Discovery Zone or Blockbuster, they needed a whole construction department to build their stores. And back then, you couldn't trust your contractor, right? You, 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 you know, their lips would move, you know they were lying. And today, we work for all of these, you know, we build more McDonald's than most people in the country. And uh, we, we do brands like um, CVS and we build uh, mostly all rollout brands. And, you know, we give them the ability to see where their stores are at, give them integrity with construction, hire uh, great, great general contractors, subcontractors, and manage those schedules for them. So that's the idea behind CDO Group uh, for 24 years now, or almost 24 years now. Uh, it's been uh, quite the learning uh, process. So, so I, I've, uh, I, I've grown, we've, we've got to the point where we grow the company. My wife took over as president last year. Uh, we, we got women-owned women certified, which has been an, a, an amazing experience. We've, uh, the diversity we've, we've really kind of uh, embraced uh, bringing in and changing that across all ranks of our company. And, and through diversity, we, we've really been able to look at problems with better solutions, right? Uh, a, a more diverse group of people have, have given us this whole different way to grow, and uh, which has given me some room to do some of these fun things like uh, uh, be on your show. 
and, and take the world trip around the world and do uh, some other fun stuff. So you were talking about uh, the work that you had done uh, kind of previously with uh, Boss Market, Blockbuster Video, and and some of these companies that uh, that didn't have uh, necessarily or had built up in in-house teams, and then you founded the CDO group f- to uh, to help with that. Is it really serving as an owner's rep that you guys are generally doing, or is it yeah? So so more we have two, than that? There's two sides of the the company. So for uh, the company was really founded on being an owner's rep, right? Doing all of the stuff, you know, CDO stands for corporate development outsourcing, but it also fell under chief development officer, right? So uh, all of the things that fell under the chief development officer's role at a company are the things that we outsource. It really stemmed from uh, the real estate side, the demographic modeling, the uh, knowing where they want to go, uh, site selection, you know, looking for sites, negotiating leases. That was the, that was a big part of how we started was negotiating leases on that side and finding those perfect locations. And then from there, taking it through the design development, right, getting the place laid out properly, and then taking it through bidding and permitting, and then getting it out and managing the construction part of it. Uh, and it was a full life cycle of that. And then and then we also brought in remodeling and uh, asset disposition. So if they're closing a store, uh, we can do that as well. So that's how it started. And then uh, about uh, three years ago, uh, McDonald's asked us to add on to be their master GC, which means that uh, for them, we hold their master GC, and then we hire other GCs for McDonald's through us, and we pay them, because a lot of times these GCs can't get qualified under the insurance requirements for them, but they're still great GCs, right? They're still good guys, but they can't carry the insurance liabilities or the whatever, whatever may be the problem with them. So we bring them on and we mentor them uh, through that process and they'll work for us and then we'll pay them. McDonald's pays us and then we'll pay them, right? So they essentially hold the contract with us and we hold the contract with McDonald's as a master GC and, and they asked us to do that. And that's sort of our general contracting side. And today that, that, what, that turned on to be just a regular GC where we hire and we manage projects. And uh, now, you know, we're, we're right, right, you know, in 19, in, uh, uh, 2018, we broke the $85 million mark. Uh, in 2019, we broke all 50 states. Uh, we've had a pretty, you know, COVID slowed things down a little bit last year, a lot of it last year, but it kind of felt like it gave us the ability to expand our client base and, you know, build some great, you know, we, we had all those people that did all McDonald's projects, which slowed down, and now we're able to take on some other brands, which our people have grown in. And now as it starts to build up again, as we come out of this dark ages of COVID, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully see a good, solid uh, growth opportunities with all the brands that we work with. Yeah, it's uh, been interesting times that we found ourselves in here recently, no doubt about that. Um, in construction, well, I guess there's worse places to have been, but uh, the whole world pretty much stopped there for a while. So. Uh, it's good to uh, you know have the vaccine out, and hopefully we'll get that rolled out here, you know, as soon as possible. And 20, 2021 could be the year that we uh, you know turn the corner, if not, uh, you know, make it the knockout that uh, we'd all like it to be. True, for sure. For sure, COVID slowed us down. But you know, my belief is that 
look, there's always something going to slow us down, right? I could come to work every single day and have something that could be dramatic, right? Uh, you know, political stuff or 9-11 or uh, something's going to get there. What I keep telling our people all through COVID is, look, be safe, do the safe stuff, but don't give up. Don't get swirled into the world is ending. So there were a lot of people just crawled up on a ball uh, on the ground and they, they were in a fetal position just going, oh, the world. And I'm like, no, keep, keep, keep digging it out, right? And keep pushing through it just like you would do on any other day and just be safe about it, right? Just make sure that we're wearing our mask, social distancing. We moved our people to home base, you know, but we, we worked right through that. And uh, I believe that that's, that's a big part of what makes a successful company is that people uh, get caught up in drama and instead of that drama, get caught up in, all right, how's this an opportunity, right? If, if our main clients are slowing down, and they did, restaurant clients slowed down and McDonald's, you know, they only had their drive throughs open. And uh, so they slowed down and, you know, we moved over to Chipotle and, and we started adding in Chipotle lanes, which was fun, right? We got to put the first ever Chipotle lanes in and now we can't put them in fast enough, right? They, they're realizing what a competitive advantage it is. And, uh, with all the drive-through experience we've had, we've been able to put a bunch of those in, and you know, uh, and or CVS, where uh, you know they've taken opportunities with all the stuff that's going on with COVID, and uh, we've added in mini clinics and um, you know health hubs uh, throughout the country for them. So the, the deal I believe is not going into the panic, not getting caught up in a hysteric. Be safe, but also keep doing what we always do, right? Just keep fighting it out every day uh you know and i think that's been a, a, a pretty successful for us and why i believe that we we had a we had a decent year last year even though um you know, others didn't yeah no that's great to hear that you guys have been able to uh persevere through it all and that uh i like like that attitude a lot because it's not uh yeah it's not like it's going to come back on with the light switch either right it's uh it's all kind of you know Although the, the decline might have been swift, the uh, the comeback is gradual and it's going to look a little different on the other side. So uh, the ability to uh, to to roll with the punches is definitely uh, a requirement uh, these days. So um, that's great that you've built it into your culture. Like and, 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 and I believe every day. I, I think that's the secret to running a company is that you got to roll with the punches every day. That you know, I, I was just out there talking to a, a young superintendent who uh, he was in the office bidding on a project, and he's like, "Well, this project's out in the middle of nowhere, and and I'm having a problem." I go, "Wait, wait, wait hold, hold on, you're having a what?" He's having a problem getting subs out because it's out in the middle. Listen, dude, we have no idea what a problem is. You're sitting in a cushion office right now, uh, picking up the phone, calling people. There's no such thing as a problem. You got to look. There's in that town. There are great subcontractors that would love to work for us. Your job is to go and find them. Problem is not what we do. It's just a matter of taking the attitude of where are the right people. And if, if you stop looking at it like a problem and look at it as an opportunity, we're going to find the right subs there. They're, they're going to best build the best project we've ever built in that city. And I think that's the mentality that we got to watch out for. You know, people love to, you know, um, never before has civilization had so much drugs and alcohol and and things to take them out including fear 
fear is just like a, it, it takes people out. It takes us out in some sideways little adventure. People get caught up in, let's be afraid. Well, good, I, I got it. Be safe. But just like any time, keep, keep trudging through it. And um, somehow or another, I believe that that's what makes us successful in, in, in anything that we do is, is not getting caught up in that, that uh, storm. You know, I, mean, I, I can't tell you how many times people during this whole thing would call me up. Can you see what's happening? Up? Like, I haven't watched news in weeks. Here, you go get off on all the politics. Right? You might as well be doing shots of tequila, right? Let's just do shots of tequila instead. You might as well do that if you're going to watch politics. You get all caught up in that drama. Or do what you do. Take care of our families. Go to work. Do what we do. Take care of our clients. Make them happy. Right? Make sure our projects and our schedules and the people on our job sites get what they need to be successful out there. Let others go panic and get caught up in that while we do the right things by the people that we work for and the people that we work with. And I think that's... That's, that's the winning formula to being in, in, in business today or anytime, right? Yep. Yep, I agree. You could uh, spend a lot of time trying, uh, following the, uh, the news of the day and be quite depressed for it, or you can stay focused and, and, and uh, keep moving ahead for your family. So I'm, uh, I'm right there with you uh, in terms of wanting to stay focused on the positive. So. That's great. That's great. The uh, we kind of jumped right over my icebreaker there. I don't know uh, yeah. if if you have your uh, the beverage selection there, but that's what we we went straight into vacation talk in uh, in your travel plans. But so, so I love this idea. So so I'm having an organic uh, pure leaf black tea iced tea. So nice. Jonathan uh, told me all about it. So he's got me this. He brewed up a special brew of iced tea for me, and I got uh, uh, some some pure leaf tea in celebration of the show. Very nice. Well, thank you. I'm joining you as well, although uh, I have the iced tea uh, portion, but uh, this is actually a green tea that my wife had, uh, just a Trader Joe green tea, not nice. nothing too nothing too fancy, you know, but something we had around here. So Perfect. we've been drinking more and more of it. So. Uh, Cheers to that, anyway. Cheers, cheers, cheers to your show, Drew. It's 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 awesome. I think what you're doing is, uh, uh, you know, it's living out your grand adventure. And you know, as we were talking about before this, stepping through the fear, right? And and doing doing this takes, I don't know. I, I've I've done a, a little bit myself here now, and it, you know, every once in a while you question yourself. That little voice in the back of your head's like, well, well, am I, am I doing this good? <laughs> right yeah no we all we all have that we all have that and again you just gotta keep going keep rolling with the punches and uh and keep taking steps ahead so that's what i try to i practice myself so with that uh maybe we could take us uh take a step back you're a chicago guy uh maybe talk about your roots to chicago and what uh Kind of how you ended up being the, the man that you turned into. So, you know, I started, uh, I, I was born and raised in Florida. Okay. Born, born under a palm tree down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. A little redneck kid uh, back, before, back back when South Florida was the South. Right now, South Florida is the only place you have to go north to go south. Right? It's, uh, uh, it's, it's become the fifth borough down there. But I grew up down in the South, and, uh, you know, my, my family... 
my, my, my father was, worked for Pratt & Whitney making airplane engines in West Palm Beach. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, it was awesome. Had a great childhood. Grew up around the water and boats and uh, palm trees. And it was great. Florida's a great place. It was a great place to grow up. And, uh, you know, I, I, um, I worked my way through school painting houses. You know, I had a little pressure cleaner. I'd go around and I'd clean sidewalks and clean people's, you know, they had cement roofs down in Florida. They have cement tile roofs. I'd go and I'd pressure clean and paint them. And somewhere in there, I, I started painting, I started a little painting company. My first company was called Image Painting. And uh, uh, Image Painting got into commercial work and I got into a Banana Republic. And uh, uh, back then, Banana Republic said, you know, 30 different colors of white, right? There was antique white and off-white and all these different whites. And a contractor who it was my first commercial job, uh, my, to, say, to say the best, I learned my lesson but did not make a nickel. And I would say he took advantage of me a little bit. Here, I took advantage because I got to learn. And uh, uh, from there, I, they gave me Discovery Zone. While I was doing that Discovery Zone, I met the uh, project manager there. He invited me to Chicago. And uh, from there, uh, they offered me a job. And uh, I went to work for Discovery Zone uh, early on. I was about uh, 22 years old. And uh, from there, I worked with them in Blockbuster Video. And then from there, I went to uh, uh, Boston Market and uh, back then it was Boston Chicken, and uh, we built stores all around the country, and I loved it. I got to travel for a living. It was wonderful. It was a great experience. And my first day at work at Discoveries, when I walked in, my boss said, here, here's 30 files. Come back when they're built. And my second day at Discovery Zone, I was in Puerto Rico. And my third day, I was in California. And my fourth day, I was in Hawaii. And I traveled for seven years like that. It was a wonderful experience as a, as a young man. And uh, just, it was, you know, I, I didn't care. I, I traveled every day and I uh, loved it. And then um, went off from there to, so that got me to Chicago. And uh, it was a little bit of shock, a shocker, the weather, right? A little redneck kid who grew up under a palm tree. Uh, my, my first winter here was this, you know, it was the coldest winter in 10 years. So it, uh, it, it took a little bit out of me, Drew. It was, it was a shocker. But what's amazing about Chicago is the people and... I had never been around such nice people. Florida is great, but people in Chicago are hardworking, great human beings. We, we work hard around here, uh, and people are genuinely nice. And they, they taught me how to be a, you know, grow up and have manners and how to be a man. And uh, they were great examples. There's great human beings here that teach you how to live a good family life. And, and, and today I get to, you know, I have five kids, and um, you know, we live here, we live in Oak Park and have, you know, I think it's just a great way of, of, of lifestyle. Yeah, well, you picked a good neighborhood there. I uh, I actually happen to have been raised in Oak Park myself, only about a half mile away from, I think, where you're sitting right now, just at uh, Van Buren and Humphrey. So uh, I know I know the area well. And it is a, a unique uh, a unique place. Chicago, I think you get, uh, you know, it's a great uh, a great city generally, and you have all the amenities, and then uh, there's a nice little nugget there with uh, Oak Park being uh, being so where the, it is. So if you can get over the property taxes, it's tough. Know. That's the tough one. Now let me ask you this: when you when you were a kid, do you remember Home Juice Company? Home Juice, no. So they used to deliver juice, right? It was a uh, uh, they went by Supreme Juice. They were uh, called as Home Juice. They delivered chips and juice uh, to houses like the milkman, kind of like Ober Oberweiss does. Uh, they were home delivery of, 
of, um, of juice. And uh, they were based here in Oak Park, right on Harrison Street. And uh, uh, that's that we live in. We, we live in their old factory. So oh, we, converted, really? we converted an old factory into a house. And uh, uh, so the family and I live uh, in, the, in, the, in kind of this old factory, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Um, so yeah, back to back to the business then. I'm I'm really interested to hear hear more. So I, one thing we like to get into a little bit here is talking about um, you know revenue sources and kind of how how contracts can be set up. So one thing that I've always uh, I don't you know I don't know much about construction just a little bit, but um, I've always had a uh, a thing about general contractors normally isn't it like a cost plus model where um there's not necessarily an incentive to keep the cost down versus with an owner's rep uh i think sometimes it can be uh put together different ways can you talk a little bit about the the billing uh uh setups that you do and how they're different between your general uh contracting business and the owner's rep business sure so you know, I started my career working for Wayne Heising. You guys, you remember who Wayne Heising is? Yeah. Wayne started Waste Management, and he started, uh, and he started Blockbuster Video, and, and a couple other companies that uh, I worked with. And he used to say, "Hey, hey pal, I uh, I rent things, right? I rent garbage cans. I rent videotapes. It's reoccurring revenue." And that rang true in my life ever since I worked for him. Right back then, the idea was. You know, the, the problem with being a general contractor is you bail and then you row and then you bail and then you row and then you row and then you bail. Right. So you either feast or famine all the time. Right. One week you're, 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 you're high on the hog. The next week your family's starving. And that was no way of living. So for me, why I picked the, the career and the path that we that why, why we do uh, brands or chains is because once we get into a chain and we start to do rollout construction, I can, I can forecast the number of projects that are coming down the pipeline, which makes that bail and row more, uh, more palatable. And then what my, my whole focus is, how I keep the work is, the, the, the more and more of them we do, the smarter and smarter we get at it, the more and more efficient we get at it, right? How do we figure out ways to find, you know, is it 300 hours of electrical work or is it 280 hours? Look, if I can take out 40 or 50 hours of electrical work by making it way more efficient for the electrician to show up exactly when he needs to do it, get their work done and get out of there, not only does the project go better, the, the electrician makes more money, and that's really our secret. Our secret is that we manage the, we manage the hell out of the schedule. You know, back in the day when I started at, uh, in construction, you know, people showed up like cowboys. Right. You, you, you walked in, if you were superintendent, you walked on a job site and you had two guns, you were in a holster and you were like, come on, boys. And you just and you just shooting at people all day long. And look, if you were good, you could get away with that. It, it may be exhausting, but that's how people ran jobs. And we started looking at it going, look, with all the technology we have, we can look at a job site way smarter than ever before. Today, you know, it, it used to be that everybody had to show up at six o'clock in the morning and everybody left at two o'clock. And if you didn't, right, if I was an electrician, I wanted to work on this wall today, inevitably there'd be drywall stacked right where I wanted to work. And 
you know, you spend half the day moving that crap out of the way so you can get your job done, and it became really inefficient. There was stuff in the way, but today I can look at a job site in 3D model. I can look at it and go, all right, this group can work over here, this group can work over here. I can, I can you know, we have a, a, a picture of an orchestra on one of our brochures. And what, what the superintendents are really geared to do around here are, our superintendents are geared to make people work in harmony. So, and if you don't want to show up at six o'clock in the morning, let's say, you know, today's young, you know, your son is 11. They may not want to come to work and get up at four o'clock and go to work, right? Those are the old school guys. They don't want to do that work, right? They may want to show up at 11, but we can look at a job site today way different. And if you want to work from 11 and, and get your eight hours at 11 o'clock and work until seven o'clock at night, great, great. We, you know, we, we just, we used to have what we called trade stacking where we look at a job site and see how many people we can get on the job site at one, at one time and try to keep them out of each other's way, right? It used to be, how do you keep the flooring guy and the ceiling guy from being on top of each other, right? Today, what we do is we call it shift stacking. How can we get people working different hours of the day, right? Why, why bring a tile guy in during the busy part of the day? Let the tile crew come in later in the evening. Let those guys show up at three o'clock in the afternoon after the job site settled down a little bit, right? Make sure people know, hey, tonight we're gonna be doing tile. You gotta get your gang boxes out of the way. So a week ahead of time, we, hey, starting on, on Tuesday night, we're gonna start doing tile. You gotta make sure your gang boxes out of the way. So people can start moving their stuff and migrating their stuff over to another room. Hey, we're gonna start over here. So that by Tuesday night at four o'clock, the tile guy gets the dining room, right? So that now we work in harmony with each other and we can spread the job site out a lot different than it ever was before. And people can get what they need to get done uh, in a much more efficient way. And that's, that's the secret to using technology is that we can look at the job site different. We also don't need, we don't need every bit of drywall on site all at one time. Today we look at uh, the way that we, we bring stuff onto a job site. So it's not stacked everywhere. It's in everybody's way. Uh, you know, my want is as we make deliveries, it goes right up. Right. If we if we're going to take a kitchen equipment delivery, let's make sure that the kitchen's done. Make sure the floors are in, the FRPs on the wall, the ceilings are up, the lights are burning, all the outlets are trimmed out. Let's move into kitchen equipment like furniture. Let's not bring it into the job site, and then find out we got people working on top of it, working around it. So that's the whole key to it is is being more efficient with the way that you communicate to people. And at the end of the day. Our subcontractors work less hours, make more money, and give us better pricing. Their margins increase, their costs go down, their people are happier, and you, you know it, it's a much better way of living than it was ever before. So I think that's that's kind of secret to the model that we use. Now the difference between GC work and CM work is that you know you would think that cost plus means that GCs can write whatever they want and their goal is to increase the cost. Well, not if you want to work for that customer ever again. You know, the, the problem with today is you're bidding against, you know, here, especially during COVID, you might have seven or eight different bidders on the same project and your goal, you, you got to be more efficient at it, right? So you got to make sure that your subcontractors can see that working for you, they're going to be able to get in and get out and paid and make more money in their jobs or they're not they're not going to give you their best pricing right because in our business we have what's called the brain damage uh factor right when, when you work for a general contractor that gives you brain damage 
they have to add a little factor in there for carrying the cost, carrying the money, you know, dealing with the people on site, the brain damage that happens on a job site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you guys are obviously using a lot of software tools then and trying to, I mean, and I know that construction in general is like, I'm a project management professional, something I got trained in while I was with uh, Ernst & Young. I know that there's a lot of uh, tools that really started in the, in the construction industry, I think, and then have been leveraged out beyond that. But uh, you talked a little bit more about the software that you guys are using. Sure. It, it's, it starts off with the way that we estimate projects, right? It all starts at estimating and how we how we rip down our estimators have unit pricing square foot linear foot we know more about the project than our subcontractors do right so starting at estimating our software that we use you know from bluebeam to the different software packages that we have they look at a project and they're able to break it down way more efficient than than ever before so we, we can look at a project and we're telling a subcontractor this many square feet, that much linear feet, which does a couple things. Number one, we help them bid, because the, the big problem we have is getting bids back from great subs. Because think about who, who your great, greatest subs are. Who, who are the best subs out there, right? They're guys who are actually working in the field, right? Your, your best subs, your low-cost providers, aren't usually the big houses, right? Now, some of the bigger projects, we, we, we need the forces, so we, we go to the bigger projects. But for the you know, medium-sized project, a million and a half dollars or less, right? Those are usually smaller local brands, right? And we're looking for, uh, make it easier for them to, to build and uh, to bid. So we, the more data we can give them, the faster we can help them turn around their bids and give us great numbers. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Likewise, when we get a number from them that's out of skew, we can see that. Uh, where before we, we had, uh, you know, we were, we were guessing about it. So it starts with that data. Now the next part of it is we, we really look at job sites different than before. Today, every one of our job sites has cameras. Every, every single, I, I can sit here in my office and I watch job sites all day long. I know when we're getting deliveries. I know what's happening on a job site. You know, at first people were really freaked out about it, right? Like, oh my God, you're watching us as a big brother. But what happens is, is they understand that we also are here as a resource for them. Hey, you got a delivery showing up. Hey, you might want to clear a spot to put a 50-foot truck in. Our coordinators that coordinate the deliveries of things like, you know, brick and tile, and they can look at a job site and go, hey, where's that 50-foot truck going to go? Where are we going to take, how are we going to take that delivery? You know, the mason's got a pile of dirt coming in. Where is that going to go? So we can really look at job sites smarter. Um, Likewise, when a sub says, hey, I'm going to be out there with six people, I can, I can go back and look at every single day they were on the job site and tell you exactly how many people were on that job site. So if you committed to six and you gave us four, hey, we, hey, you're out of commitment. Your commitment was six. We can't operate our schedules if you show up with, you know, uh, 50% of your crew missing or, you know, 30% of your crew missing. Uh, that's not going to work for our commitment on our schedule. So. Uh, you know, then we have cameras and then we, reporting and communications uh, from the way that we look at a schedule. Uh, each one of our subcontractors has adherence to schedules and uh, their commitment. So we do things like uh, safety. Every, our, our safety is number one. Uh, you know, we have tool talks every single day, right? What, what are our people working on? What's the protective gear they're wearing? 
uh, what, are the, what are the safety procedures we're going to follow anytime anybody's overhead or on ladders or uh, in holes or you know what are the practices that we have to add on to make sure that people are safe so that all of our people go home with their fingers and toes and and uh, and, and are, are safe and then likewise what kind of equipment's on site who's certified to use that do we have proper um, you know do we have proper training on that equipment so that uh, we don't have unauthorized users on a job site running equipment they're not trained on so you know safety changed the way construction happened the the old days of running like cowboys and indians uh it doesn't work right it does, it's not safe we want our people to go home with their fingers and toes uh every day and, and safe we want them to go home right so um you know now we can we can see that and we can watch people make sure people have boots on make, make sure they have uh, protective uh, uh, gear on and uh, and so forth so you can see that live um i could see that being a great uh, yeah great uh help to keeping things on track and if you can get over that uh, initial resistance but it's really in everybody's best interest so you just potentially might need to pay a little bit of a premium for it but i guess no, not, uh, not anymore if you're not doing safety you're not in the you're not in construction anymore here uh, 10 years ago yeah you know yes you're you're right today no construction worker is showing up on a job site even even the back of the truck uh pickup truck guy uh they don't show up on a job without uh, a vest eye protection uh, uh you know a, a hard hat uh boots on uh you know yeah no i was referring more to the cameras um, oh yeah 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 in monitoring that so at, at what point um you know, there's a there's a big cost difference between union and non-union labor. At what point are those decisions normally made, and what are what are the uh, primary factors that you use in coaching your clients? You know what, the union non-union is such a non-issue anymore. You know, here in Chicago, we have both, and they're both phenomenal, right? Our, our union contractors are. It used to be this big cost disparity between union and non-union guys. There isn't. First of all. You know, uh, union guys are way more efficient than they've ever been before, right? They're they're operating smarter. They're operating. The the idea of getting paid to do nothing was a big complaint that the union guy wasn't as efficient as the non-union guy, and they were. But the non-union guy has just as much cost. They have just as much insurance. They have. You're not getting away with this big disparity. Um, you know, look for those who are hiring back of the truck kind of contractors. Maybe, right? Uh, you hunker, you hire your uncle Lou to go do a project for you. He doesn't have insurance. He doesn't have. Uh, he's not uh, a licensed company. Okay, you're gonna get what you pay for. But for those that are national brands or uh, building anything of substance, you're not hiring those those type of contractors. Uh, not here in Chicago. You're not. Not not around here. I mean, this is Chicago. We really have low tolerance for uh, the kind of uh, shenanigans that other places do. Uh, you, 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 you might get away with it for a little bit, but not for much, not for long around here. Yeah. It's a small, you know, it's a, it's a really small, big town. Yeah, well, people talk and, the, and work that's right. out, right? That's right, that's right. So, what other uh, initiatives are you guys focused on there with, with uh, CEO Group? You know, uh, this year we'll have um, our, our number one goal right now, and it's written across uh, one of the, the we have an area we call the pit, 
where all the coordinators are out in this big, big one big room we have. And that, that wall is about 17 feet long. And uh, written across that in four foot high letters is from dirt to dishes in four weeks. <coughs> now, what does that mean? That means that um, the future of construction, you know, is requiring us to go way faster than ever before. You know, if this is the life cycle of a building, right, let's say this is 50 years or 150 years, right? Construction has always been the part that touches my finger, right? This, this little bit of time that maybe that six or nine months or maybe a year of time it took to build it. So people put up with a lot of brain damage because they only had to deal with construction for a very limited time. Today, with the internet of things and people needing to move faster than ever before, right? They, people now know where their customers are. They wanna be there as fast as possible. They need to be able to get in and oftentimes move as markets move faster than ever before. So speed to service is key. The, uh, uh, across, you know, McDonald's uh, is a great brand that we work with. You know, projects, we did a, you know, a 6,000 store remodel program with them uh, over the last few years. And projects that used to take six and eight weeks to do, we were doing them uh, somewhere between 11 and 21 days, right? They can't afford, you know, once they make an initiative, they want to, you know, they want to go to uh, the touch of screens, uh, to, to, to the ordering kiosk and as they, they want to do that, they want to do that much, much quicker, right? As they change their design, the future of McDonald's, which is amazing to say that, is going to be some amazing stores, right? As we get through COVID, the, the new initiatives they're coming up with, the future of what McDonald's is going to look like will be dramatically different. So as they have those initiatives, they want to be able to implement those much, much faster. So in the, uh, our, our big belief is that in construction, if you're going to be in the game, and speed to market is not your your conversation. You're not you're going to be outclassed here in the in the future. That uh, uh, the construction companies that that are able to uh, uh, get get go from dirt and build ground up buildings faster. And our our goal <clears throat> is to do ground up buildings in under four weeks, which is uh, a pretty tall uh, you know. And, and a lot of that has to do with the digital design that we do, and. My, 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 one of my biggest beliefs is that the future will involve robots and artificial intelligence. And as those things come, you know, if you look at construction for 24 years of me doing this, we, our business has been plagued with the exact same problems that we did 24 years ago. You know, 24 years ago, I, I was building a Stennis Day Americas, right? And we would, we would take the entire room and, you know, the bed, the nightstand, the sinks, the tables, and we put them in a, little, in a little pot and we'd slide them in the front window uh, before we put the outside wall on. And that would save hundreds of, of trips up and down the stairs to, you know, after we were built out and the damage and the time and all that expense. And that was 20 years ago. You know, we're still, you know, if, if this was Moore's Law, like computers, you would think that we'd be able to double in speed uh, since then, and we haven't, right? So we've been plagued with uh, you know, oftentimes I feel like uh, construction, we are fish in a fish tank. We kind of keep walking around going, oh, look, bubbles. Oh, look, bubbles. <laughs> and we keep having the same plague thing plague us uh, over and over again. And that's changing with technology as, as, as project management software comes into play. 
uh, we're able to look at things way smarter than ever before. And as artificial intelligence come on, um, it's going to require us to move uh, those stores and open stores much, much faster than ever before. Um, you know, we, we were just in Europe and saw entire malls of pop-up stores, right, where the mall itself was the design. It had zoos and food courts, and all stores that were in it all had six, uh, three, six, nine-month leases. The longest lease in the entire mall was a pop-up store. So the idea is that a brand can move into a location. You and I can get the customer experience. You know, what's the biggest problem with you and I shopping online? I don't know about you, but I'm, an, I'm not like some skinny kid, right? So I, I buy stuff on, online, and it'll say large or even extra large. I'll get it here. I'm like, I don't know who extra large this is, but I can't get it to fit over my belly, right? I, all of a sudden, I look like a sausage casing, you know? <laughs> um, um, you know, the, the, the little button screaming, help! Uh, right? All I need to do is once, but once I find a brand that fits me, I'll buy that shirt every single Here, once I buy a brand that fits me and my wife goes, that looks good on you, I'll buy that same shirt every single day, right? And all I, all I need is my wife to say, I like that shirt on you. And, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a brander for life, right? I, I'll stick to that brand and I'll know that shirt fits me. So that's what brands are doing today. They're, they're looking for, uh, to be able to get to a market. You know, the Internet of Things will, will know where their customers are at, where, 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 where you and I are at, and that shirt company will be able to go there. You and I will be able to try those shirts on, and then uh, they'll be able to go back and sell online once we have our brand experience. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're seeing the same thing in, in restaurants, right? The, the, old, the old thing happened with, with, with Chipotle's. You, you remember when you, when you first time you went to Chipotle's? What was the first thing that happened? You, you got there and you, and, you, and you met the server, right? And there was like this little interaction you had, right? <laughs> Burrito, right? You had this little interaction with them. So it was a little intimidating the first time with Chipotle. Right, right. but you, you walked in <laughs> and then you went down the line. Do I, what meat do you want? All right, great. No, no. Hey, what this meat? Hey, what, uh, what veggies do you want? Great, great. First it was what rice, then what meat, and then what vegetables, what toppings. Uh, do you want sour cream? And, uh, you want uh, added avocado for a buck or two? Great, right? But today, you could order from Uber Eats, and you could give a shit where. Excuse me, you could care less where that store where that store is. That store might be in the back of a mall. It could be in a warehouse district. The future of uh, brands like Chipotle might be that they'll have uh, third-party delivery companies that serve them through their you know uh, an off-site a B location, a C location, where rent is cheaper and, and more cars can come through there, right? And uh, they'll have a couple of key locations where people can get the brand experience for the first timers have never been to, to the brand. So they'll you know, focus their energies on building a couple of key locations with all the bells and whistles and let the customer get the experience, but then have the third-party delivery company experience uh, come from uh, a cheaper rent location uh, with easier throughput. And we're seeing that now with ghost kitchens and uh, whatnot across the country. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it certainly seems like uh, there, there, the, the change will continue across the, uh, certainly at least the restaurant scene, and maybe moving the commissary uh, kitchens and, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different angles on it, but I think that uh, construction is here to stay, no, no doubt about that. It's uh, good to hear about the innovation that you guys are doing there. From a marketing perspective, you're also doing some interesting things. I, I saw that you guys had a blog out there, 
And then you're just getting a uh, podcast yourself up and going. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I, this has been more about uh, a, a hobby for me. I, you know, I'm, as I get older, <clears throat> I've been doing this for a long time. I love this business. I love it. And I, I love when I meet people that love the business, that are into it. And, um, you know, I, I, I see construction. You know, there was this big exodus from construction. You know, kids all, even my kids were all like, oh, I got to be, I'm going to be a blogger. I want to be on the internet. I want to, and I, I believe that, you know, the trades weren't something that people were looking forward to. Well, I still believe that the trades and construction is an amazing career for people. For me and my family, I've, I've had a great life in construction. And when I speak at schools and I go meet the young people, I want them to see that there's a great careers here. And it doesn't matter what part of it you want to be in. You know, um, I had uh, a young guy on from Marco Murray the other day on my podcast, and he's in charge of information technologies for Arco Murray. He's out there finding the latest and greatest technologies and bringing it to construction, right? So these are IT people that are now impacting it because, because construction's been so archaic for so long, right? There's so much room for it to grow. There's so many opportunities for no matter what part of the business you want to be in. If it's in construction in the trades, great. There's new stuff that the tradesmen are doing to make the projects happen way faster than ever before. And it's a lot more fun today and it's a way safer life of living and a more sustainable way of living where guys aren't going home with injuries and back problems and, and you know, they're, they're having great life lifestyle and they're home and they can be, they can have adjustable schedules that work for them and their families. They have this great family life to go with it. And, or you could be in the office at project management where you can uh, bring in uh, your best minds to look at how do I make this uh, a, a more interactive project? Or it could be in accounting, or it could be in technology, uh, or it could be in marketing. Uh, you know, how do we go out there and find better and better customers? So I, I do believe, my one is, in the, with the podcast, is to share that there are amazing careers in construction to be had. So if, if you're interested in uh, my podcast, please come join us. It's the uh, Future of Development podcast. And uh, we're, we, we just launched uh, last week. And uh, we got our first two up there uh, when, when you and I are doing this, this, this podcast. And I'd love to have uh, your guests come over and uh, check it out with us. Nice. That's great. That's great. Uh, step from here. And um, to find that, again, um, well, first about your company, uh, cdogroup.com. And then the name of the podcast again. Is the Future of Development podcast. Okay. Uh, my name is Anthony Monteghi. And... Uh, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, you'll get, you'll get how the passion I have for the business. And, uh, uh, just like you, if trying to find guests that uh, have that same, that same passion. Yep. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us today. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, good to meet you and let's stay in touch. I appreciate it. And, uh, cheers. Yeah, thanks. Thanks cheers, for, uh, cheers. thanks for having me on. Yeah. Best of luck. Thanks. Take care.